It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. All across the fantasy universe, welcome everybody to the two-point stance powered by FantasyPoints.com. I'm your host, Brian Drake. You can check me out on the Twitter machine at Drake Fantasy. Hanging and banging. I'm staying with that, Joe. That's I'm going to make that a thing. Hanging and banging with my main man, Mr. Joe Dolan. Joe, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Drake, uh, you feel you seem like you're a little under the weather. You have the worst immune system in the fantasy podcasting space. You're like Lamar Jackson. Um, always, always said Lamar Jackson misses like three games a year for being sick, has to run off the field with diarrhea and on national television. <laughs> You're like you're like the Lamar Jackson of the fantasy podcasting space, Drake. I never got like that before. I do have an autoimmune disease. I have uh, alopecia, which I did find a cure for. If anybody out there has alopecia, I found a pill. It worked. It's amazing. I have no blotches on the side of my head. If you're watching this on uh, YouTube or anywhere else, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was either the Canadian wildfires that got me because I kind of had to play golf during it. You know, I I couldn't stay home, or the Yankee game I went to. On Saturday, which is just a cesspool of uh, Modelo tall boys and people coughing without covering their mouth. But either way, we got a hell of a show today, folks, because I got money in my underdog account. I got to use it. And I figured let's talk to the man breaking down best ball roster construction at fantasy points better than anybody. It's Mr. Graham Barfield. He joins us today on the two point stance. Graham, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be with you guys. Second show of the year. I feel, uh, feel lucky back to talk to you guys. So it's it's good to be here. Yeah, it's uh, middle of June. Time to start firing into underdog drafts. I mean, what 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 else are you going to do? Sit by the pool, fire into some drafts? Like, I, you couldn't imagine a better summer. You're going to tweet cryptically or post weird stuff on Instagram <laughs> like our buddy Stefan Diggs, mm-hmm. who... Let's get to him because if you're drafting an underdog, maybe you think you're going to get a value on Diggs because of the uncertainty in Buffalo. So Stefan Diggs, I've apparently missed minicamp uh, the opening day of Bill's OTAs, whatever they're doing up there in Orchard Park. Head coach Sean McDermott said he was deeply worried about Diggs missing the minicamp, but Diggs was in town per his agent, apparently met with a coach. Josh Allen's doing a press conference. He's talking about, He's my bleeping boy, and I love him. Then Diggs puts out this Instagram tweet about people capping, and I don't know. I'm 42 years. I don't know what that means. Lie. I don't know what that means. That's yeah, so means. he's lying. You know, There's a lot going on here, Joe and Graham. So this is the guy they just paid, they being Buffalo, over $20 million in incentives in the month of March. Stefan Diggs is not going anywhere, but there is something going on behind the scenes in Buffalo, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's Josh Allen himself. But let me start with you, Joe. What do you think is yep. happening in Buffalo? I don't know. Stephon Diggs feels like he was he was disrespected, something like that. Um, I, I, I think maybe somebody said something to him. Somebody disrespected him in some way whatsoever. I'm not going to know what's going on behind the scenes. But his agent said yesterday for Adam Schefter, this is not a contract-related situation, which, good, they just gave him a big contract last year and gave him big incentives. And I'm all about players getting their bag. Um, but Stefan Diggs has his. Um, 
And then he comes out, and I, I really just think something – he was disrespected behind the scenes. I think it would cost the Bills – if they were to trade Stefan Diggs, I think it would save them about um, a million dollars against the cap this year, but give them a ton of dead money next year. It's not going to happen. No. The, the, the Bills are not the kind of team that's in the position to eat significant dead money for anybody, but especially a non-quarterback. Um I don't want to say we're making a mountain out of a molehill. I think this is a little more than that. Um, but if if Stefan Diggs is going to dip in drafts, I think I think I'd be buying. I don't think the Bills have any incentive to move him whatsoever. And unless Stefan Diggs wanna sits out wants to sit out the entire year, I don't think uh I don't think he's going to go anywhere either. It's hard to get a read on the situation, but he's in Buffalo. Maybe we have some sort of conclusion. I mean, as early as this week. Yeah. What do you think, Graham? I mean, you're a guy who's making sure he's taking a lot of wide receivers early and often in these best ball drafts. I'm sure Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen stacks play a large role in that. What do you make of this situation in Orchard Park? There's definitely some smoke here. Uh, something's out behind the scenes. There's any speculation you could come up with, you know, has been put out onto Twitter. I was digging hard for something yesterday, just going through all the Bills, beat writer, Twitter accounts that I could find. One of them suggested that there could be some sort of rift between him and McDermott and the coaching staff. Uh, he apparently loved uh, their old wide receiver coach, Chad Hall. And Chad Hall is now with the Jaguars. So maybe there was some sort of like, internal strife of like Hall moving on and Diggs got upset. Uh, by the way, I think he's talking about McDermott capping. He's, you know, McDermott said yesterday he hasn't been here and Stefan per his agent yeah. was saying, uh, Hey, I've been in Buffalo for two days. Like I just didn't go to practice. Uh, I, I've been here. So I, look, they'll get this figured out. They, Stefan Diggs has unlocked this offense. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Mm -hmm. And to Joe's point earlier about the, the new deal he signed last year, Go to over the cap and look at how much dead money Stephon Diggs has in the next yep. few years. There is at least for this year, there's no trading that contract, especially at Diggs's age. If they trade, he'll be him, back with the team. Yeah, he'll be back with the team in the training camp. Like yeah, I'll be stunned. They'll they'll get this figured out here. Graham, I just I just pulled up um Jason from uh from over the cap um who does great work, Jason Fitzgerald. He said it's thirty one million dollars in dead money next year if they, they it's thirteen this year, which is doable. Thirty one million dollars for a team that I would uh, presume has designs of contending for as long as Josh Allen's in Buffalo. They're not going to do that. Yeah. The, the those big no, dead no. money cap numbers those were for teams like the Eagles and the Falcons who were hitting the reset buttons over the last couple of years. That's not going to be for a team like the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. And I remember hearing from a, a good buddy of mine in Buffalo. I think I mentioned it, Joe, on a show we did with Tom Brawley. There's been rumors in Buffalo for months that Stefan Diggs is unhappy there. And so it's maybe it's just now leaking out to the national media. But in that town, it's, it's definitely known. Uh, so we'll monitor the situation there. But we're here to talk best ball. We're here to talk roster construction. A lot of times when people get involved in best ball, they go, all right, cool. I can just start drafting players, firing them off my phone. Whenever underdog alerts me, I'm going to go and I'm going to pick the best player. Maybe you're drawing dead if you just take that analogy uh, of, of, hey, this is all I'm going to do is just whoever comes up, who's the top guy in my queue, I'm going to draft him. So Graham has a great series of articles at fantasypoints.com where he breaks down his thoughts on how many players optimally at each position to draft, some stats about rosters that have been built by prior entrance to Best Ball Mania contest, how they fared, and also who he likes to draft overall. It's super fun. It's informative. It's why Graham's one of the best in the business and why we're so proud to have him here at Fantasy Points. 
So we have over 600,000 entrants in the last two best ball mania drafts. So that's a great deal of data and analysis that we can get and form for 2023. Let's get into it with here, Graham. You stress the simple fact of getting weird because you have less than a 1% chance to make the finals in this thing. But hey, you know, you're telling me there's a chance. But some things shouldn't get too weird. And that includes uh, you got to skip over that RBRB start because that's more cringy than Baby Gronk's father. Oh, wow, Drake. Oh, man. Wow. Don't, don't you shoehorned that like one that. in. I got it. Well done. Well done. Um, yeah, so off the top, this is maybe – it's not maybe. It's the best data set in fantasy football history. We have 600,000 teams, like you were mentioning, drafted in BBM. And, I mean, three or four years ago, if you would have told me that I had 600,000 teams worth of data, just, I mean – you would have uh, you would have blown me away. So big shout out to Underdog for for publishing all of this first and foremost, uh, and giving out this data. But yeah, your single team odds of making just making the finals, not winning it, just making the finals this year. There's a little over 400 people that'll make the finals in BBM4. Single team odds are 0.00065%. That's three zeros before the six five percent. It's way less than one percent. Um, not all these these contests, these large field contests like BBM, like the puppy too. The puppy has well over hundred thousand entrants. We have to treat these contests like DFS contests. We have to treat them like the Millie Maker on DraftKings, like the the small uh, the, the smaller entry but high uh, number of entrants in the five dollar contest on on DraftKings. Think of it that way. We in those contests to, to win the Millie Maker, to win the. Uh, the, the, the high entry, the low dollar 150 max contests on DraftKings, you have to get weird. You, you have to find ways to stack up offenses and stack up games and get weird. And that's the kind of mindset you have to take, I think, in some of these underdog contests and especially in puppies. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about micro macro strategy in some of these different tournaments, but in a tournament like BBM where everybody is drafting all summer closing line value and ADP really matters. It really, really matters. Uh, <clears throat> we've seen in data and Mike Leone at established the run has done a lot of great work on this about when drafts, uh, when to draft and fast drafts, slow drafts, when drafting matters. And he's found that a lot of ADP closing line value in May and early June uh, really matters. And then there's just like this huge debt period in July where just all the sharps are drafting and it's really hard to find value. But then in August, again, it picks back up. And puppies, we only draft, Joe, I mean, you and I have been talking about this. We only draft in puppies for like two weeks now. They fill in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I am way less concerned about ADP value in puppies. And I'm way more concerned about just getting freaking weird. Like, get really weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you, if you start your draft with, let's just say, I just did this this morning. Uh, I started with three receivers, got Cooper Cup, T. Higgins, Debo Samuel, came back, got Najee Harris. I got Justin Fields uh, as my quarterback one. I took Chase – I'm taking Cole Komet, Chase Claypool, um, those those types of stacks well ahead of ADP. I, I don't care about ADP value. I want to get stacks and get really, really weird and make sure I'm you know not too concerned about ADP value. Uh, at this point, if you're just playing in some of these $5 contests, which I think a lot of people are, a lot of people aren't drafting in BBM right now. 
Uh, here's an example uh, for BBM vis-a-vis Puppy or um, the Poodle or some of these smaller contests that are going to fire off multiple um, multiple contests throughout the summer, Drake. Alexander Madison, I think, is the perfect example. Alexander Madison it could be a league-winning player in Best Ball Mania because there are people who are drafting in April and May who might have gotten Alexander Madison in the 8th and ninth round. And right now, if you're drafting Alexander Madison in BVM, you probably have to get into the fifth, sometimes the fourth round. Well, there's going to be thousands of teams in in that in that range who are drafting Alexander Madison basically 30 picks before people who got him in April and May. Those people have a massive advantage with Alexander Madison, because even if he does hit, he's going to hit as their RB3 or RB4 when he's your RB2, maybe even RB1 on some teams. So that's the example. We don't have to worry about that in the puppy. Yeah, because exactly. the, the puppy, Alexander Madison, all right, in this puppy, he's going in the 55-60 range. Okay, well, he's yep. going in that range in every draft. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. If you like Alexander Madison, you can draft him at cost. Yeah, yeah and – on that note and we'll get into a lot bigger macro stuff because this is already pretty like minor and micro with madison but like uh i mean look back look back at some of your early puppy teams you were drafting in may i know you and i were in on madison early i mean you're you were probably getting them as your rb4 uh those that the puppy is already closed the first puppy's closed so that that closing line value is already in anybody who didn't get in on madison you know, it doesn't matter, but in BBM, it, it matters. Like that really matters. Now I haven't done a BBM draft all summer because of that reason. I think people with Madison at RB4, there's just too much unknown right now. Like the Vikings could absolutely sign one of these veterans like Kareem Hunt or Fournette and, you know, Madison become a ninth round pick again. Um, but right now, I mean, Madison is looking like such a smash value that anybody that got in on BBMs early um, and it's, was killing, you know, just crushing Madison, you know, fading cook, like, they're, they're probably looking pretty good right now. Now, of course, folks, if you want to draft over at Underdog, use our promo code FANTASYPTS. We're going to double your first-time deposit up to $100. You put $100 in, use code FANTASYPTS, boom, we're matching it. Now you got $200 to play with over at Underdog. Oh, by the way, when you do that, we're going to give you a $5 subscription to fantasypoints.com. So you're winning everywhere. Trust me, we'll hammer that home for the rest of the show. But I just want to crowbar it in there. If you're starting to get the itch, you like what these gentlemen are talking about, get over there to the underdog fantasy. Use code fantasy PTS. So when talking about the running back, I guess we could start there. You don't want to start running back, running back. You say drafting five or six running backs is optional or is optimal. And when you draft them is more important. You're a fan of this superhero RB plan. Explain that for the folks. Sure. So uh, let's back up real quick. Uh, Last two years, we've seen just from a macro strategy perspective, two running back starts vastly underperform basically any other start you could take in the early rounds, right? Running back wide receiver starts is the most popular and it pretty much performs right at expectation. Uh, last year's year running back absolutely crushed. I mean, you could take two wide receivers, you could take Kelsey and a wide receiver. Um, it absolutely crushed superhero running back is something that I looked into, man, 2019, 2020, uh, was when I was still using NFFC data, it's full PPR, not half PPR, but it's a, it's a strategy that I was looking into where it was basically like, I want to get one stud RB one. I want to get, you know, this year it's, 
uh, pick your poison. Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, back into the first round. Eckler, mid-second round for Nick Chubb. You find your one stud RB1, and then you basically just ignore running backs for the next five to six rounds. You say, okay, I've got my one stud. I've got my one difference maker. I've got the guy who's going to give me 22 points per game at the ceiling. Uh, I feel good. I'm going to just hammer receivers. I'm going to uh, hammer early uh, mid-round quarterback. Maybe I'll take a tight end that I love, Mark Andrews. Um, that strategy right there has been right on par with zero running back teams for the last two years. The single elite superhero running back plus a bunch of just like mid-round and late-round RB2, RB3, RB4 types has been a winning, massively winning strategy on underdog. Basically, in terms of average points scored, that's your regular season points scored, your league win rate, that's just your advance rate in the regular season getting into the uh, quarterfinals. And then in terms of just finals expectation, like, like superhero teams have been right on par with uh, zero RB teams. And I think as just a macro strategy perspective, like we've been battling zero receiver team or zero running back teams uh, for two, three years now. I mean, everybody that was hammering receivers early uh, was absolutely correct. Um, I think the, one of the biggest takeaways, and this is probably just a takeaway for all half PPR leagues that are set up like this. If you have to start three receivers and only two running backs, you, you should, you really shouldn't be taking two or three running backs in the first three rounds. Like, I think if anything, that's what I, that's what I've learned most is like, if you, if you're in any type of league, doesn't have to be underdog. It can just be on Yahoo, you know, with your buddies, two running backs, three receivers, like you're probably overdrafted running backs just from an early round structural perspective. Um, the, I go way more in depth in the article about like when you should draft uh, your, your RB3, uh, what two running backs and three running backs in the first six rounds looks like in terms of expectation. Um, but if I've learned anything about just early round structure, it's that, yeah, these superhero teams where you get one stud RB one or you go zero RB, those are, that's, that's been optimal on underdog. And Joe, you and I've talked a bunch about this. Um, yeah. Receivers are being drafted earlier than ever. I mean, everybody knows it. The market has completely adjusted I have a, I have my, this is the thing I've been wrapping around in my head all, you know, trying to do these drafts and figure this puzzle out. You know, the running back market is now more devalued than ever, right? I mean, we yeah. get Miles Sanders in the sixth round. So wouldn't that, I mean, to me, it's like, okay, everybody's drafting receivers early. Fine. That's optimal. Uh, but now I can get even better running backs at even cheaper cost. So in, in theory, it kind of like, almost necessitates receiver heavy drafting even more yeah it's like the the old cliche is zig when they zag and i still think graham and, and drake i think that works in your home drafts or mm -hmm. you know even god god like even even some high stakes drafts we've been in graham you me you and tom won an nffc main event um league a couple years ago and i still think the strategy in in something like that does work but that's in an individual league, and and maybe that also can work in like if you're just doing a five dollar underdog, winner takes all, you know, twelve man league that can work. But we're talking big field tournaments. I just I've tried zigging when others are zagging. I have multiple teams where I've started Mahomes, Kelsey, or Kelsey Mahomes because you have to draft Kelsey in the first round. My. God, do I end up hating my wide receivers? Like, it's just, yeah. it's inevitable. Like, I just, 
I haven't been able to crack that egg. I have not been able to 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 say, okay, if the wide receiver, if if, if I cannot justify, if I cannot just sit there and justify taking DK Metcalf in the second round just so I start wide receiver, wide receiver, what do I do? And I have found that an incredibly tough egg to crack right now. And I've almost had to just go with the flow. Um, and that leads me, Drake, into, into the second point with Graham. And and I do want to talk about stacks well, because I think this ties into just the general concept of stacking. I think you have to get weird in the mid to late rounds. That's that's where that's where you you crack you go with the flow in early rounds. You just have to do it. You swim with the current, and then you try to swim back against it. Maybe starting in the eighth, ninth, tenth round. Yeah, I saw Graham. You were talking about that. With, My say, biggest New York. right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll say you you mentioned that with like the no, Jets. Um, you know, we're talking about. You know, you love Tyler Conklin, you love Corey Davis, and you, you kind of lay out a plan for those guys kind of getting weird because a lot of people will maybe will stop after they get Aaron Rodgers and they get Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe they'll throw a Lazard in there. But you say, you, you know, you can get weird way down the board, and that's what's going to, you know, make a big difference. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but stacking four-player teams actually generated six of the 11 highest finals uh, leverage rates last year uh, and, and and that's because people are saying hey listen I'm just going to pound an entire team and someone's going to score yeah so this this is probably the we should probably start a little easier with stacking than four-man stacks um, I analyzed uh, and went back and looked at the 20 most popular stack types in the last two years of BBM2 and BBM3 uh, I looked at just what um, basically I, I wasn't looking at, was it quarterback receiver? I wasn't looking at, was it quarterback receiver tight end? I was just looking at total stacked players from the same team. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that four man player team stacks have generated just like massive leverage in the finals. Like, um, the majority of the field is going to be doing two and three player team stacks the last two years. of the field, that's one third of the field will do a two, uh, will have at least one two player team stack and at least 40, uh, about 47% of the field will have at least one three player team stack. So that's a, you know, anything from quarterback one plus running back one plus receiver one to uh, RB one plus two receivers uh, from all from the same team. Uh, However, just 17% of the field goes with four, at least one four player team stack. And these teams have absolutely smashed in the finals. They've had massive, massive upside in the finals. Uh, I went back and looked. Basically, all I did was I compared the strategies usage in these two tournaments, and I compared it to the percentage of teams that made the finals. And what I found was that these four-player team stacks just massively, massively outproduced their usage based on uh, the tournament, and, uh, the last two years of tournaments. And I, it's it's all led me back to, and I, I go, you really should read the article and uh, go through the data yourself, but it's all brought me back to just the n- total number of stacked players on your team massively, massively matters. So uh, not only did I find that four-player team stacks outperformed uh, their strategies usage, I called it leverage. Chris, Chris Wecht, uh, great data analyst we have here at Fantasy Points, 
uh, got to give him a huge shout out. He get, you know, he really helped me with this, this data set. Um, and it gave me a lot of like great Intel to really write this piece. So huge shout out to Chris, but, uh, when we were kind of going back and forth and he was giving me some comments about the, you know, what I was writing up and the data I was writing up, we kind of, he, he, I, I just popped it in the article and I think there's a complete misconception about stacking. Uh, and especially when it comes to just total number of stacked players on your team. So everybody thinks that stacking, uh, massively, massively creates this downside variance, but you're, you're really looking for upside. <clears throat> and Chris brought up an interesting point, and especially, this is especially true for the really good offenses, right? Unstacked players actually lead to a higher average, you know, like unstacked players like lead to higher average scores during the regular season because you have more opportunity for those players to go off in your lineup, whereas like stacked players one week Stefan Diggs goes off, but the next week it could be Gabe Davis. Uh, in this example, let's just stick with the Bills, right? The ironic thing is the more stacked players you have from the same offense, it actually smooths out your variance. So just let's follow this logic here with the Bills, right? Uh, you take Josh Allen in the third, uh, or sorry, you take Stefan Diggs in the first round, take Josh Allen in the third. Uh, you can do that now. Gabe Davis in the seventh, take Dawson Knox in the 16th. That's your four player team stack, right? Uh, let's say it's week 16. Stefan Diggs has a really bad game, right? Like you made it to the semifinals with your Bill stack. Bill stacks have been making a lot of semifinals in the last couple of years. Say they do it again. Stefan Diggs has a bad week. He has five for 43 receiving, but Gabe Davis goes off, man. Like he has five for 120 and two. Mm-hmm. If you don't have Gabe Davis and you just stacked Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, like, man, you're already in a hole. Your number one wide receiver has just scored like five points, six points. You're in a hole. Because you have Gabe Davis also on your team and you're all in on bills, it actually smooths out your variance for that week. And, you know, like we talked about at the top of the show, your odds of winning or just getting to the finals is 0.00065%. You have such a low likelihood of making it to the finals and uh, doing (laughs) playing best ball for the last three, you know, full time for the last five or six years. Like I've been fully humbled a number of times you've got to come into this humble. Like you, you have such low odds. And I think the way to increase your odds very, very slightly, extremely slightly is by solving this puzzle of just, Hey, let your early round picks dictate, dictate your stacks late in the draft. And every single piece that you take from a player is a correlated or excuse me, every single piece that you take from the same team, is a correlated puzzle piece later in the draft. And it helps you solve your team. And, you know, you can go more into the data and you can read more into the article, but all, all I found is that more stacked players is like of massive importance because not only are we trying to win and just get to the finals, like, Brian, we've got to win in the regular season and then we've got to win in the quarterfinals. That's a completely separate, uncorrelated tournament. Then we got to win again in the semifinals. That's a third uncorrelated tournament. And then we got to win again in the, four, in the finals. That's four consecutive tournaments that are all uncorrelated. We have to win. Your odds are so freaking low. You have a and better chance of dating Taylor Swift than you do of winning <laughs> this best ball you game. You do. You have, better, you have a better chance of, I mean, honestly, seeing some of her concert ticket prices. You have a better chance yeah. of like 
<laughs> getting into her show but yeah yeah drake um, I, I mean she's had more she's had more uh, bows in the last uh in the last three years than there's been best ball mania winners so there you I, go. Mean, I think that's actually factually true i'm in i'm ready i got all the time in the world I mean, now taylor you know sliding the dms uh let me ask you guys this so <laughs> we talked about you know roster construction and, and stacking and all that when let's say we have just our casual player out there you know, he or she, they use code fantasy PTS. They double their money. They're in They're They're making a, their first draft on underdog when it's the first round and you're up and you go, okay, well, I read the article. I kind of want to take a wide receiver here. Do you ever look at the wide receivers available and then try to project down the road? Like, all right, if I draft Stefan Diggs, then, ah, crap, I got to come back in the, you know, maybe second, third round. I got to get Josh Allen. Whereas if I take, Amon Ross St. Brown or or someone else I can put or you know Tyreek Hill two was much later I can yeah. kind of build a little different do you ever think about when you're picking a player how the stacking is going to impact your team and how early you're going to take that next quarterback every time I do that somebody ends up goosing me on the player I want to take so I try to think about my pick in the moment just like in the first round <laughs> I'll take uh, I mean I'm almost always going to take the best available wide receiver unless I get just stupid value on like like let's just say Austin Eckler falls to like eleven overall, and then I'll take a wide receiver in round two. Let's say Bijan Robinson falls to twelve overall, something like that. Kelsey falls to ten overall, but um, I usually just like to take the best wide receiver in the moment, Drake, and then I will evaluate um, later on uh, when the next pick comes up whether I should begin a stack or 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 try to or, or try to just go receiver receiver get the best players there. It, it is kind of a case-by-case -case basis, Graham. I'm sure you have a much more scientific way of thinking about it than I do. <laughs> no, no, it's not scientific at all. It's, I think, Brian, you're, so I think of um, what you said is like, okay, you start your draft, you should anticipate your future picks, your future receivers, future running backs, tight ends, mm -hmm. whatever fits with your team build. That's the exact guideline I would put. And I'll, I'll take it a step further that's the exact way you should be thinking like to take down these big tournaments. Um, it, you, you have to be thinking in, in, on those terms of how uh, you're going to add to your teams, add to your game stacks uh, for week 17. That's the exact way you have to be thinking. And my, um, my way of suge my suggestion for people out there to do, to do this in their drafts is like the moment you, uh, you take Jamar chase at two overall, like immediately put, Joe Burrow in your queue like put him in your queue for the fourth round if you want to get weird and take him in the third I've done that plenty of times too you can take Chase in a back in the second round come back and get Burrow in the early third you can do that uh, you're also adding Tyler Boyd and Irv Smith now I think and Joe you would agree player takes really matter like uh, there's a certain point where stacking becomes or team stacking becomes suboptimal and especially when it comes to players that you don't feel great about and Irv Smith is certainly one of them for me with the Bengals uh, we can get into that too where it's like you have to use your own logic and your own drafting guile and your own experience to be like okay like I love Joe Burrow I love Jamar Chase give me Tyler Boyd for a three-player team spec but man I'm not in on Irv Smith like if I've taken Irv Smith at 150 I I'm not doing it you still you it's there's these guidelines, right? It's like, it kind of, I, I, I'll use this analogy of like, it's like a train going down the track, right? And then you get to a fork and you have to decide to divert to the right or the left. In best ball, there's like 18 different tracks you can go down, right? Uh, but in this analogy, let's just like keep it simple. Um, 
let's just say on, on the clock, you've got one track or two tracks and you've already got Joe Burrow. You've already got Tyler Boyd. You already got Jamar Chase. Like we said, maybe you got Joe Mixon too. There is like a certain point where your team stack gets suboptimal. And especially when it comes to players that you don't feel, feel great about. So projections and player takes like are of massive importance. And we're going to you know talk a lot about, you know, high level stacking and stuff like we've already talked about on the show, but like, you know, macro level player takes still really matter. Um, and I think we've seen that with the last couple of, of massive tournament winners. I mean, Pat Crane uh, ran hotter than sun, my guy. Uh, I, I love him, but I mean, you know, he also had some excellent player takes. Austin Eckler, Ramondre Stevenson was the nuts running back combo. Oh, and he had Saquon Barkley. Like those player takes absolutely, absolutely matter. And there is a point where, um, where stacking becomes suboptimal and, you know, you have to, you have to pick the right players. I know it's so simple. I hate saying that. It's the worst fantasy analysis of all time. Just pick the right players. But um, <laughs> there is a point where where stacking no longer becomes optimal. You know, you know what's funny about that about that take, Graham, is um, Jerry Jones, who obviously pulled off maybe the greatest trade in NFL history, built literally a dynasty out of one trade. Um, he said, "We knew we needed draft picks," but then I remember him saying, "Now here is the key." We had to take the right players, mm-hmm. and like, how many how many That's... times have we seen like you know the Browns in the Sashi Brown thing like end up not really at times taking the right players, and it turns out you know that that still is the right call, right? That still is okay. that's still going to always that's always going to matter in yes. fantasy, and it's always going to matter right. more than anything else. You can let's, look back at old trades all the time and yeah. you look back and go, oh, what did they get for Deshaun Watson? What did they get for Russ? What did they get for Matthew Stafford? And then you look at the trade like after the fact when you actually attach real player names to it of who they drafted and you go, I would have done that trade 100 times out of 100. It's great. They stole them. Let's let's stick with that logic, though, of just picking the right players. And we'll t- we can relate this back to Pat Crane's winning team of just picking the right players. He had, Sa- he had a Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones stack. A lot of people weren't really super comfortable with taking Barkley and his quarterback. But I mean, you basically just locked in all of the Giants touchdowns last year. And this is this is the key about team stacking. Those are the guidelines. Think think of it this way. Like, wouldn't you rather have four pieces of the fifth best offense in the NFL last year? Let's say the Giants were the eighth best, right? Giants are the eighth best offense. You have two pieces, three pieces. You'd much rather have three pieces of the eighth best offense than one piece of the 21st, one piece of the 16th best, and one piece of the 11th best offense. That's the way to think of these guidelines. And I'm trying to, uh, to uh, explain here is like, it, it you know, st- stacking, we all know stacking is of massive importance. Everybody has written an article about stacking and how important it is. Uh, but I don't think enough people have ta- touched on just how much the total number of stacked players matter. And uh, I did a bunch of uh, underdog MLB contest in the dinger this year. And I was pulling in some data. Um, there's not much out there. I mean, we pulling the dinger last year was so small, but I found the same thing. I mean, it's like in tournaments where the top, the, the top 0.00065% get paid the big bucks stacking is, I mean, it's just, that's what shows up in all these teams. And yeah. it's, it's true in, in baseball too. And I think that's, it's obviously a totally different game, totally different scoring. Uh, but 
I think if you're trying to win big tournaments on underdog, you, I mean, the total number of stacked players in your lineup matters more, matters more than whether or not it's like a two player or a three player, just getting correlated pieces from great offenses at good cost is, is the way. Yeah. Drake, Drake, let me, uh, let me tr- try to visualize what Graham's saying in a different way here. Um, and I think a, a great way to look at this is if you're in a 12-man league in, uh, in just your home league and you finish fourth in that league, you're going to make the playoffs. And if you make the playoffs in your 12-man home league, that's fantastic because you've got a great chance to win that league. You have a maybe not an exact 25% chance, but roughly a 25% chance. If you finish fourth in a, in a best ball mania or a puppy, you're not getting anything for that. So if I'm looking at my results and understanding if I draft 100 puppy teams, if I get 15% of them through to the next round, I'm probably pretty happy. But let's just mm-hmm. say, let, just throwing a number out there. The last thing that you want to see if you're doing these big field tournaments is to go down your list of teams and be like, Ooh, I almost qualified in that one. I almost qualified in that one. I had a fourth place finish and a fifth place finish. I would so much rather see that I have 30% 12th place finishes, but I have 20% first and second place finishes because that means that, all right, these stacks that I had on these last place finish teams, it didn't work, but I had so many stacks that did work and I've got an opportunity to win. It doesn't matter if you finish fifth, in, in a puppy do you finish way closer to to cashing than if you finish 12th yes but you still get zero dollars hmm. it's a half point ppr That's, tournament yeah. you know people forget often in fantasy football we get so caught up in in trying to be cute that touchdowns win a lot of time in fantasy football yes. so let's say you, you were stacking the detroit lions and you said i'm going to get jared goff and i'm going to get uh, Jameer yes. Gibbs and I'm yeah. going to get uh Hawk or yeah well yeah I'm going to get Hawkinson and then I'm going to get uh St. Brown like they're going to score a lot of points this year in Detroit that's going to be a solid offense like now you just cornered the market on most of the touchdowns that Detroit's going to score at the end of the day exactly that could lift you up uh you know what a lot of folks are talking about that I don't think the casual fan really understands and that is the week 17 correlation if you listen to a lot of real like best ball bro type pods they get real in the weeds with it. But I think, you know, maybe our casual guy who's using code fantasy PTS at underdog, he's just getting into it now. He might not understand that, uh, Joe and Graham. So can you just under- explain to the listener out there why they should be paying some attention to the matchups in week 17? Uh, I'll take it. Um, I think you, you said, you know, some people are taking it a little too far. I disagree. I, I agree. Uh, but think of it this way. It's like, you know, the Bengals and Chiefs are playing in week mm-hmm. 17. You want Bengals and Chiefs on your teams. Like, why not boost up, you know, Kadarius Tony a few spots in your ranking when you take Joe Burrow? You know, and even if you're not a big Tony fan, uh, maybe you like Marquez Valdez-Scantling better later. You know, uh, we know that those teams, two teams are likely going to be playing in a game with a 55-56 over-under. Um in week 17 and you're all, you know, you're going to want Bengals and chiefs to begin with uh, this. That's just obviously one example in one game, but the idea uh, behind week 17 game stacks is just like how we started talking about at the top of the show. You have to treat these contests like a DFS uh, DFS entry, right? 
Uh, everybody in week 17 is going to want some Bengals and Chiefs uh, on DraftKings. Um, but there's going to be some games that are that are under owned uh, um, that week uh, for DFS. But the the idea is that if that game goes off, let's just keep with Bengals Chiefs in this analogy. If Bengals Chiefs goes off, it says it say it has a 56 over under, but it actually goes for 72 points. Burrow you know, throws three touchdowns. Mahomes throws four. Uh, all of those pieces from those that game. Uh, not not just Jamar Chase and Travis Kelsey and all the guys we typically draft like T. Higgins, uh, but there could be some smaller pieces like Rasheed Rice or Marquez Valdez Scantling or Kadarius Tony that also do extremely well. And you would need those pieces that week to have a great uh, to have a great score. And uh, Liam Murphy, uh, previous best ball, uh, he won best ball. What was that best ball two BBM two? Yeah, uh, he had I believe two game stacks. Um, Last year's winner, Pat Crane, BBM3, had three game stacks, I believe. Uh, I think he had Giants, Bucks, um, and one other. can't remember off the top of my head. But we've seen uh, Week 17 winners all have game stacks. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where we can debate to the moon uh, which games you should be stacking and which teams you should be stacking and all of that. Uh, but there's some fairly obvious ones like Bengals, Chiefs, White Lions, Cowboys, uh, where it's like if Mahomes, Burrow, Goff, Prescott are all healthy by week 17, like those games are going to be great for fantasy. And that's another logical guideline that you can use. Let's go back to the train track analogy of like, man, I don't know who to decide on the clock here. Let's say you're on the clock at um, 156, right? Uh, You're deciding between Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and your RB5, let's call it. But you got Burrow, you got Chase, you got Boyd. You don't have a chief in your uh, for your week 17. It's like, I don't feel super great about, let's call it Devin Singletary, right? I don't feel great about Devin Singletary. I'll just throw Marquez Valdez-Scantling into this lineup. That's that guideline of like, use that as your differenti- uh, your differentiator when you're swiping and clicking your picks, right? It's like, I don't feel super great about my RB5 here, or this choice between uh, this tight end and whatever you can add to your game stack. Let that be the final choice. It's like, man, I don't feel super great about adding Irv Smith here to my uh, four-player team stack. Let me throw in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Maybe he'll, maybe this will be the game he goes for four catches for 100 yards and a, and a touchdown. And he's the wide receiver four on my team that week. We're talking here with Mr. Graham Barfield. You can follow him on Twitter at Graham Barfield. Wrote a great series of articles at FantasyPoints.com about roster construction, best ball strategy at Underdog. And again, if you want to get in at Underdog, use our promo code FANTASYPTS. We're going to double your first-time deposit up to 100 bucks, and we're going to give you a $5 subscription to fantasypoints.com. You can't beat it, folks. Best deal in the business. Before we get Graham out of here, I, uh, Joe, I want to hit you guys with some of Graham's late-round targets at each position. Let's start at the running back position. Uh, so each of you guys can kind of fire away a guy or two that you really like. Uh, you know, I, I see it here. You've got guys, it's like ADP 140 and beyond. So give me a couple of running backs you want the people to take note of late. Uh, I'll, I'll start I'll, off the top. I've got Devin Singletary uh, off the top of my list. I just think he's, he went a little underlooked in free agency, he signed a fully guaranteed two and a half million uh, dollar deal with the Texans. And look, I mean, I was a humongous Damian Pierce fan. I mean, Joe, you know, better than anybody, how, yeah. how big I was on Pierce last year, Damian Pierce. I want to preface this entire argument by saying Damian Pierce is by far the better runner. Like, and the numbers show it like yards after contact, missed tackles forced Damian Pierce was better last year. However, 
I mean, Devin Singletary has been pretty good in his career. He can play all three downs. He's handled at least 180 touches in four straight seasons. I don't know if he gets to that number this year unless Pierce gets hurt. But the bottom line with my Singletary uh, call is that he is just by far uh, a better RB2 than anything the Texans had on the roster last year uh, between Royce Freeman and Rex, you know, Rex Burkhead. Uh, Singletary is a legitimate RB2, and I think he's a legitimate threat to Pierce's workload. And it pains me to say this because I, I really do love Damian Pierce, but my fantasy brain uh, outweighs my my love for players sometimes. And uh, in this instance, I think Devin Singletary is a better value. How about you, Joe? Who are you throwing a dart at late in these best ball drafts? Um, I'm, I'm really going uh, for a couple of the Minnesota Vikings right now. You have Ty Chandler. You also have Dwayne McBride. And, and I wanted to bring this up to Graham as kind of actually even a, a more hot, big picture take handcuffing like we've already mm-hmm. we've 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 already discussed handcuffing as a minus ev strategy for um for uh for like uh, seasonal leagues okay you know mm-hmm. i would much rather draft a, a, a dart for a wide receiver than draft a handcuff to my to my starting running back should we look at that differently in best ball is a handcuff more of a stack or is it yeah. still a minus ev strategy it depends uh it really depends on the team uh, and it yeah. depends on, I mean, this year, um, let's, let's, let's use an example here, Joe, like, uh, for the last couple of years, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, right? Those two, te- those, if you took Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, those two players have been massively uncorrelated. Yeah. Um, it's very, very, you go back through and look through correlation. Like there's probably a couple games where Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon have both had pretty good games, but by and large, like it's either been one or the other going off, uh, in instances like that. Uh, where we've got two players in very clearly defined roles. Um, yes, it can be uncorrelated, but on teams where we know that like, man, uh, like Washington this year, like a extreme high amount of touches is going to go to two players. Um, I think there's some, some value yeah. in it. And it comes, it comes back to a little bit of what I was alluding to earlier. It comes back to, to cost finding good value offenses at the right cost. Uh, and then also just recognizing what roles those players will play. So like Washington this year, right? Brian Robinson is clearly the early down and red zone back. Antonio Gibson is clearly the passing down and he'll get some, he'll get some early down work, but by and large, I think Brian Robinson will be the red zone player. Like with the Packers backfield, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon split red zone stuff. They split early down stuff. Aaron Jones does get all the passing down stuff, but in general, there's a lot of overlap between roles. So uh, long winded answer to say, there, it matters, but you've got to understand how roles overlap. And this comes down to projections and player takes and just the importance of all of it. But with like the Vikings, Joe, I know you and I were big on Madison. I didn't get nearly enough of them. Uh, unfortunately, his ADP just started going like crazy in May and uh, I didn't get enough. But like it, you should if you missed out on Alexander Madison, like now, like you should probably be switching to Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride. Yeah, you should definitely not be drafting those two guys together because like we started to stop the show talking about Madison, like. Vikings could absolutely sign Kareem Hunt and just completely throw a wrench in this entire backfield. There you go. One of the running backs I like late, Gus Edwards. You got an ADP right now, 191. We're never sure of J.K. Dobbins' health. We know they uh, have liked to run the football there, and and it's going to change a little bit the new OC. But, hey, Gus Edwards always a productive back. By the way, Gus Edwards was on the field at minicamps, and J.K. Dobbins Dobbins was not. not. Hmm. Look – J.K. Dobbins, man, what a freak athlete. What a phenomenal, phenomenal player. But he is – he was – I watched every single carry uh, once Dobbins and Edwards came back uh, 
I mean, they both came back together like late in the season. It was like 90, 80 carries, something between the two. Edwards looked 100% to me. Dobbins was not there. Uh, there's something up. So mm-hmm. I'm fully fading Dobbins now, unfortunately. I came into this, which pains me. I came into this offseason thinking, damn, dude, like I, I think Dobbins awesome bounce back candidate. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared of Dobbins again. You got to watch for these guys coming off injury. We're seeing it right now at the wide receiver position with Hollywood Brown has a foot issue. Uh, he's coming back from and uh, oh boy, now I'm blanking on the name. There's another guy who's just coming back uh, from a foot issue, and now he's slow. Bateman yeah, got, yeah, yeah. got a cortisone shot yesterday, so he got a cortisone shot in his foot. You got two guys here who had, and, and Brown has a long history of foot issues uh, going back through his college days. If you're not healthy now, I mean, I'm throwing major paws into people are like, oh, you got a long time until the season starts. Folks, training camp starts next month. You know, it, it, it's, we're already in June. You know, they'll I, be on the field next month. I'm worried about Bateman. I'm a little less concerned about Marquise Brown just because, like, if, if Hollywood doesn't play, like, more than 13 games this year, like, the Cardinals are screwed at outside receiver. Like, I like Michael Wilson a lot. Uh, Brett Whitefield uh, loved uh, what he saw out of him at the senior bowl this past year. I'm in on Michael Wilson. Like, he's he's an auto, he's an auto. We, Dude, round yeah. 17, 18 pick oh, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like, Kyler. yeah. And if you draft I, Kyler, if you draft Kyler yeah. and you're not drafting Michael Wilson, you're doing it wrong. That leads me to some of my late round wide receiver darts for you guys. You mentioned Michael Wilson. Uh, I'm scrolling through your list here. Rashid Shahid, Chase Claypool. Uh, but a guy that I'm really high on, I want to get your take on. It's someone that uh, Joe and I took in our dynasty orphan team that he was sitting out there on the waiver wire as a free agent and as alec pierce who has an mm-hmm. adp of 145 this is a starting wide receiver who is just being overlooked people look at him like he's some wide receiver five he's a starting wide receiver for the indianapolis colts and nobody yeah. wants to touch him well uh, any any piece of data that you look at will show you that uh reasonably highly drafted second year receivers all by and large, see big production boosts in their uh, in their second year. Uh, so we've got that feather in our cap for Pierce. This is also just an incredible fit. Like getting into a micro player take here, like Anthony Richardson and Alec Pierce. Like that's a match made in heaven in terms of just skill set, right? Like Anthony Richardson has massive accurate concerns. We don't need to talk about all that, but like we know Anthony Richardson will throw it deep. Uh, last year was like top fifteen in average depth of target. Uh, 40% of his total passing yardage came off deep throws. Alec Pierce was the Colts' only deep threat last year. Like, they made Michael Pittman, and this is a scheme thing. Pittman will get more deep targets this year. But Pierce was the only receiver in that receiver group last year that that got a ton of deep uh, deep targets. He actually led the team in deep target share at 37%. No one else was above 20. I think that'll even out a little bit this year. But, like, Pierce is a classic, like, physical – downfield strictly outside X receiver. And I think he meshes absolutely perfect with Richardson's aggression. Like, is there going to be games where Alec Pierce gets six targets and only catches two balls for 18 yards? 100%. Is there going to be games where Richardson goes off for four, you know, four catches for 120 yards and hopefully two touchdowns. I hope so. Uh, I think Richardson's arm talent, uh, one of (laughs) what did that one NFL exec say? He said he had like a ham cannon or something like that. It's true. Uh, Pierce, Pierce and Richardson are going to get connected in a couple deep balls this year. How about you, Joe? Who's a receiver you like plucking off the uh, scroll late in your draft? John Mechie. 
I mean, like, I he's my most drafted wide receiver right now. Um, and and like I understand that he's definitely part of like those like oh Graham, you get a one piece of a of the twenty fifth best offense in the NFL. At least this this piece is cheap. Um, Mechie's consistently available in the teen rounds, and I would not be shocked if he led the the Texans and catches. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's a team that's going to stink. He's, They're going to be throwing a lot. So, yeah. Both both he and Nico Collins' ADP make no sense to me. And I know no one wants to, like, draft Texans. No one really wants to draft Nico Collins. It's not sexy, but, like, C.J. Stroud, man, is, like, one of the most accurate quarterbacks to come out of college in the last couple of years. Like, you know, he's not as freak athlete like Anthony Richardson. He's not going to be able to make, like, those game-breaking, crazy moves in the pocket. But, like, He's incredibly accurate. And I think all of these Texas receivers, like I'm with you, John Mechie is one of my most drafted receivers too. He can play inside, outside, love the versatility. But like, I, I think all of these Texans guys are a little underdrafted. Just took uh, Nico Collins in the 13th round of a underdog slow draft that I'm actually drafting on my phone uh, as we do the show. So uh, that, that was Attaboy. fun to hear you guys pump him up. Uh, let's switch finally to quarterback before we get out of here. Taking a quarterback you say is optimal uh, before round seven. So you're either, in your article, you say you want to take only two and you don't want to take them, you know, both of them too early. Or if you wait, you better wait and get three of them at the very end. But, you know, explain that a little bit and then maybe uh, throw a dart at a quarterback you like. Sure. So with underdog, the data is pretty clear. Two quarterback teams are optimal over three quarterback. And the logic behind it is very simple. We really don't have to go too much further than this. Like if you took Patrick Mahomes in the fifth round, you took Jalen Hurts in the fifth round last year, like you crushed and you didn't need a third quarterback. You just could take a second one and all of those teams absolutely smashed. So there is a lot of bias towards um, those two guys and especially Josh Allen last two years in the data saying like, God, mid round quarterbacks just have absolutely smashed. You obviously cannot get those guys at cost at that cost anymore. Right. Uh, we're seeing Mahomes, Allen and Hertz start to go in the early third round. Now still some of them taken in the second. Uh, so we're seeing the extremely elite, the, the big three, I call them Allen Hertz and Mahomes. We're seeing them go obviously earlier than ever. And I think that's the correct. Uh, I think the market has that right. Uh, those guys have just given uh, an outsized number of the highest scoring ceiling weeks at the quarterback position, especially when it matters most. Uh, in weeks 15, 16, 17. Uh, but we're also seeing some you know, guys that I think would typically go in like rounds eight and nine in previous years, like Trevor Lawrence, go a little bit earlier. And it all comes back to one, stacking. Uh, Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley are both taken uh, relatively early in drafts, Ridley round three, Kirk usually round four, round five. Uh, but it's also this concept of like, everybody's kind of pushing running backs down the board and everybody kind of is starting to figure out intuitively, like your RB two is probably your least important position on your underdog team. You really want your first three receivers, your quarterback and your tight end to all be stronger than your RB two. Typically speaking, Uh, depends on obviously if you get an ADP follower, let's say you get, I don't, I mean, it could be anybody you get cam makers falling 15 picks past ADP as your RB two. It's going to look a little different. Um, But yeah, by and large, Mid-round quarterback, because Allen, Hurts, and Mahomes all went in the mid-rounds last year, has smashed. That being said, um, you know, we can debate Justin Fields as a passer all we want, but, like, 
if you look at ceiling last year, Justin Fields had the third best ceiling at the position behind Hertz and Allen in terms of top five scoring at the position. And I think Justin Fields right now, if we're going to keep along the structure of drafting receivers early, you get your one stud running back, whether that's, you know, Nick Chubb in the second, Najee Harris in the third, you get that one stud runner, you get a ton of receivers. I think Justin Fields is that guy this year. And he's now, Joe, you've seen it. I mean, he was going in the late third round, early fourth to start. He's now being pushed into the fifth. I, I get why people are taking Joe Burrow over him. You know, Jamar Chase, yeah. T. Higgins, both great receivers. You want to stack those guys up. I think that's optimal. Completely fine with taking Burrow over Fields if you've got Bengals. But Justin Fields has the exact archetype that we look for in fantasy. Extremely great scrambler, freak athlete. They're going to use him on a lot of design runs. And oh, by the way, he has DJ Moore. He has Chase Claypool coming back. He's got Cole Komet getting in, getting better. They've got two great new running backs in rotation, Roshan Johnson and Deontay Foreman. I think Fields is that guy this year. I, think I, I am not here for the Chase Claypool propaganda, by the way. I know you've been <laughs> drafting him. I'm not here for it. It's, Joe, it's only, it is only because I like Fields. Like, I am yeah. not taking Claypool alone. Like, I think that's, I mean, unless you're, man, unless you've got Falcons and, like, a game stack, I don't know. I just don't even really yeah. like it, but... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Claypool just because I like Fields so much. And Claypool has that skill set I want. He's the downfield, field stretcher, you know, big spike lead yeah. guy. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think this year Fields is that mid-round quarterback that um, we're going to look back and be like, damn, 30% of the teams that had Fields advanced. Like, I think he's such a smash pick. Drake, I have uh, just one more before we go. I have drafted so much Bryce Young. He's QB 24 and ADP. And Graham's talking about these three and four man team stacks. It is so easy to stack the Panthers. It is so incredible. And what if Bryce Young was the first pick in the draft? Okay. What if he's good? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, are they going to be a top? The same, yeah. Use the same logic for the Texans, too. I mean, yeah. CJ Stroud is, I mean, he's, I don't think he's, I don't think he's got this amazing ceiling, but like all these guys are cheap. I, yeah. I love the Bryce Young call. Who's like, your favorite? I mean, it, real quick, who's your favorite Panther receiver then? If you like Bryce Young, who's your who's been the guy you want most? I mean, I, I kind of am with the markets in in that I just I'm going Mingo for upside, but I've drafted more Chark. Um, and like I like I understand everybody saying Adam Thielen's washed. I get that. He's also I'm not drafting Adam Thielen if it's not part of a young stack, but like he's also like wide receiver sixty three. Uh, like like I, I'll yeah. I can stack him with Mingo and and, and Chark. You can you can get Bryce Young. And again, you can we I have so much Miles Sanders because the number one predictor for fantasy points for running backs is touches. It doesn't matter if they're good or not. If they're gonna who else is getting touches on that team? They yeah. signed Miles Sanders to a four-year contract. So you can get Miles Sanders, Bryce Young, and DJ Chark, and that is a cheap ass stack. Yeah. And you can get weird with Chenault and Terrace Marshall and yes, however I have crazy I have you used, drafted Terrace Marshall. As like an 18th yeah. round pick when I've had Bryce Young. By the way, Hayden Hurst in those Panther stacks yep. as your tight end three is such a good pick too. I mean, they've got they paid him I think 18 million dollars. It's not it's all it's not all guaranteed, but like three years, he got a three year deal too. Again, um, good yeah, good really defense like could challenge oh, for a division title. Yeah, that oh, division stinks, so they that they division... could win some games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, they really could. 
There's so much to think about out there, folks, when you're drafting on underdog. We just want you to be the most informed fan that you can be. And we thank Graham for you know writing those articles, spending the time with us. Go over to underdog fantasy, use code fantasy PTS. We're going to, again, double your first time, deposit up to $100, give you that $5 subscription to fantasypoints.com. Just remember, you have to be 18 and up, 19 plus in Alabama and Nebraska, over 21 in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms do apply. If you're concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, it's 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In NY, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, 800 9789. Graham, great stuff. We really appreciate it. We're going to look for you in those best ball lobbies. Uh, and I can't wait to go have a beverage with you uh, this summer out in Canton. Uh, I think I don't know if I'm be able to go to Canton this year, unfortunately. Oh, you bastard. Uh, got... You win the belt, you I steal know. it from out from under me, and now you're not going to go rub it in my face. The oh, ultimate... steal. Oh, we're talking about the, stealing. I'm the sorry. Ultimate the Jeff- Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Etienne team last year. Who's that? Is that me? Yeah, yeah I started. Oh. Uh, Taysom Hill, Rashid Shaheed, and Russ Wilson. On me. I had Mahomes, Kelsey stack. I'm never going to stop crying about that. <laughs> hey, hey, it was a great battle. It was that Pat Fryermuth man. I was sweating that out in my office all night. I was like, I just need one catch, one more catch from me. He dropped one of them too. I remember texting oh. him about it. Oh, but that's why oh. right. we'll we'll win it back here in best ball, folks. Wait. Make sure you're following uh, Mr. Grandpa. I'm sure he's got the belt now somewhere it's sitting not around. Oh. Yeah, it's not in here. <laughs> just tweet me a picture of it later. So make sure, folks, on Twitter, you're following Graham at Graham Barfield. Joe is FG underscore Dolan. I'm, of course, at Drake Fantasy. We appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here. Make sure you subscribe to that YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasy points. And we'll see you next time on the Two Point Stance. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.